2: Ruler is the world's finest magazine of cycling and cycling culture. Established in 2006, Ruleur interviews the world's biggest cycling names and covers the world's biggest cycling races. Visit our website at ruler.cc and subscribe to support our in-depth features, long reads, independent journalism, stunning photography, and immersive cycling coverage. I'm Edward Pickering, I'm the editor of Ruler and this is Ruler Conversations. I'm joined today by Rachel Jerry, Ruler staff writer, and James Start. Ruler's roving photojournalist, and we're going to talk about the Vuelta a España, which concluded at the weekend. The race was won by America's Sepp Kuss, who led a Jumbo-Visma clean sweep of the podium, the first by any team in a Grand Tour since the 1966 Vuelta. Jumbo-Visma also became the first ever team to win all three men's Grand Tours in a single season, following Primoz Roglic's Giro win and Jonas Vingegaard's Tour win. And since the podium of the welter was composed of these three riders, this was the first time since 1989 and the second time ever the final Grand Tour podium of the year featured the three winners of the three Grand Tours of the year. There were some other riders in the race. Juan Ayuso came fourth, Mika Landa fifth and Enrique Mas sixth. Remco Evenepoel won three stages, came second in three more and won the King of the Mountains jersey. But the main story apart from Sepp GC victory, the first final American in a Grand Tour for 10 years, was the apparent discord within the ranks at Jumbo Visma. Into the final week, Jumbo were in a position where they had the top three places overall, but Kuss didn't look like the strongest in the race, and Jumbo were in the position where they had to choose between defending his lead or letting the strongest rider win. Probably a lot more complicated than that as well. Before we get too deep into the weeds at this, what were your main impressions of the race.
3: Yeah, you've kind of covered it there. Jumbo-Visma, like, what can anyone do about them? And should we maybe be a bit worried that there is a team that can win every Grand Tour and get the top three in the final Grand Tour of the year and be present in, like, every classic and every one-week stage race pretty much as well? What does that mean for the sport and... Is it a cause for concern because yeah this world ended up being exciting because it was the underdog it was kuss who was in the lead so that was what caused all that tension and what made the race good to watch whereas if it had been roglic or vingegaard in the leader's jersey it probably would have been pretty boring to watch the gc battle on the stage where i think it was stage 19 or 18 where they'd actually decided that kuss was the leader after all the drama that was quite boring to just watch them ride on the front like that all day. So if we'd have seen that for every mountain stage leading up to it, which is quite possible because I doubt they'll let this kind of thing happen again in the future. I just think my my main takeaway is how much am I looking forward to next season if this is going to be them winning every race, basically. I
1: think that we saw those three guys dominating the whole race, and yet you gotta ask, you know, how long can it continue? Um, There were hints of, at least hints of discord, and some of those guys will not stay on that team forever because they have to understand that if they wanna have their own chances, they're gonna have to look elsewhere. So at some point, I mean, I think their contracts are all pretty locked in right now, but there's gonna come a point where somebody's gonna come fishing for one of those guys with a lot of money and try to break up that monopoly. We'll see how far it goes. As it stood, I get really bored generally with dominating victories and, and dynasties and all this stuff. But this one was, you know, a really heartwarming one because it was Sep and, well, I mean, fellow Americans that we are, I have to have to say that, that that had a special place. But also, I mean, anybody that knows Sepp knows, I mean, it just really couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. So I think pretty much everybody was just happy to... See, didn't really care about the domination because I think most people were really generally happy to see him win. Take it for what it was this time. Both of you alluded to this.
2: It wasn't the most dynamic race as far as you know it being a close battle between riders really trying to win. And personally speaking, I, I get fairly disengaged from races when a team has the two strongest riders when they've got the, the three strongest as well, it's easy to switch off. Did you find it an enjoyable race to watch, Jane? I found it incredibly engaging in some ways and then incredibly unengaging in others.
1: Well, I I, I kind of saw it as a little bit similar to the Tour de France this year. The Vuelta for me has is, is never been my favourite race because you have so many races within the race. So many times there's day after day of Breaks of 10, 12, 13, 20 minutes getting up the road. And then the GC guys just kind of sitting there waltzing in. And, well, you know, that's not very exciting. But this race was kind of like the tour in that, you know, in the first half of the race, you had Evanapol and, you know, a bunch of guys pretty close there. And Evanapol and, and in, in particular was, you know, racing very aggressively as a result of, of the favorites, you know, really racing hard in the uh, first, what did we say, two-thirds of the race. Uh, or at least first half of the race. There wasn't a whole lot of room for breakaways to run away with it. And that was very much what happened in the, in the beginning of this year's tour. A lot of the, the punchers and the brake riders thought they were going to have some opportunities in the first 10 days. But because Vingegaard and Pogachar were just going at it, the racing was actually fairly controlled because the favorites were dominating a lot of it. So I saw that happening, uh, at least in the first part of the race. And it was a good fight. So I thought that was pretty great. And then, and then we had this sort of, you know as we all know now, this mini trauma after in the the last week can sep hold on will they let sep win are his teammates actually going to attack him and all the questions that come with that it was kind of like um ed like you said about the world championships it was a great course the city course in glasgow but not every year and i thought this was a great race but i don't want to see the same scenario every year
3: yeah I think like James said, for the first half of the race, it was pretty exciting. I think probably a turning point for me was when Remco had his spectacular blow up on the Tourmalet. And then I was kind of like, uh, if there's one rider who was gonna disrupt this race, it was gonna be him. And by that point, it kind of seemed out of the question that he would be going for GC. But then I found myself wanting to watch because I was like, what's going to happen with the Visma today? Like, what kind of drama is there going to be in the team? So I was also engaged in it from that sense. But that was a one-off thing. Yumbo Visma aren't going to let that conflict within the ranks happen again next year. So they probably wouldn't go to a, a race with this same approach of like, if all three leaders can fight for GC, let's just let them battle out on the road. I mean, that was probably the wrong decision in hindsight in terms of what it looked like for harmony within the team. So... Yeah, I'd say it was it was still an interesting race to watch like it was just cuz it was nothing I've ever seen in cycling really and I think that's kind of was the intrigue but year on year yeah it's not going to be as exciting.
2: You've both just reminded me of the fact that I essentially switched on to this to having taken a mid-season break on stage 13 which is the day that Evan Paul cracked and Yambo Visma went into the top three overall so I, I maybe missed the best of the World Ralea I have been catching up but the thing is that it wasn't necessarily going to turn out like this obviously the race unfolded in the way it did um, circumstance always has a big influence on the race I don't think anyone would have predicted that Yambo Visma were going to finish top three and the thing is that they did end up finishing top three partly because of Evnopol being in the race that Early in the race, in the first week, I think they perceived him as their biggest threat. And and rightly so, because he was the defending champion. He did a superb ride at the World Time Trial Championships and looked in pretty hot form. So I think Jumbo Visma, in the first place, deciding to take Vingegaard and Kuss to the Vuelta, that was an anti-Erinopol strategy. And then when Kuss got away in the big break, stage six, and gained your best part of three minutes. That was also a function of it being a Jumbo versus Evenepoel. At, at that point, I don't think even Jumbo thought Kuss was their best chance for victory, but sticking him in a break that gained a few minutes was on paper perfect for Vingegaard and Roglic because they could sit around and watch Evenepoel and it puts the pressure on the other teams to chase Kuss. And it so transpired that Jumbo is Ended up in the top three place. I think they assumed that if they'd gone to the tour of the world just with Roglic, it would have been risky. So they went to the tour with two leaders and Kuss as you know the best mountain domestique in the world, and somehow they ended up in a situation where Kuss was in the lead, Vingegaard and Roglic in second and third. No one else really in the race, and. That led, actually, to my mind, the only really interesting aspect of the race into the final week, which was how are Yumbo visma going to play this? Because on one hand, they went into the race and went through the race saying that the legs would decide and then suddenly realised that a lot of public opinion wanted Kuss to win. And there were bad optics in terms of Vingegaard and Roglic riding away from Kuss, both on Tormelay in Fingergar's case and then in Beges with in Fingergar's case and then on the Anglou in both their cases which went down extraordinarily badly and I think Yumbo visma by that point had painted themselves into a corner so very long-winded way of explaining that we need to talk about whether Yumbo visma played this well or whether they played this badly or whether they just had to go with the the way things are unfolding.
3: It's not clear-cut, but I'd say generally they played it badly. I mean, it wasn't fair, I don't think, on Kuss, how they rode on the Angleroo especially. Arguably, like he deserves to win this race more than anyone else because he hasn't had a team supporting him at all. He's actually had a team racing against him. We've seen so many times in, in history where you know, the team leader's having a bad day or is going slightly worse than their key domestique on one day. And instead of riding away from them, the domestique will look for them. They'll help them. They'll guide them to the finish, pace them to the top. They don't just ride away from them. GC leaders generally can rely on that and expect that. So I just don't think it was fair of them to keep riding to the top. It was really unnecessary. Sepkus would have basically lost the race if Lander hadn't caught him up and done the job of what one of his teammates should have been doing. It's not a sort of discussion about whether that would have been gifting it to Sepkus or not. I think it's more like he deserved that because he was the race leader. I don't think there was any really reason for them not to put their full support behind him at that point. He'd proven himself time and time again that he was pretty much on par with Wingo and Roglic. He got to like the final sort of kilometre of the anglery before he started cracking anyway. Yeah, I, d- I didn't think it was very fair. I mean, even taking out the fact that it- if he's been a domestique for them and the kind of romantic side of them paying him back because of all the work he's done for them, like I- ignoring all of that, he still showed physically he was pretty much on par with those two. And he deserved the team around him because he was the race leader and he was strong enough to be in the jersey. So yeah, to me, it- I can't really see any reason why they did that on that stage and I could see why there was so much uproar and anger about it on social media afterwards from fans in general.
2: Were you upset to see two deluxe mountain domestiques riding away from their team leader on the Anglery, James? Was I surprised
1: to see Vingegaard and Roglic pushing the pace up the road when suddenly couldn't follow? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I mean, it wasn't like uh, Ebenopoul was off the front or somebody was threatening the overall GC with a big attack off the front, and they were chasing and he couldn't follow. They had just surged ahead and were dropping the red jersey. And, you know, <laughs> that's just, it's like, what more do you guys want? You, you've got the race in hand. You're looking at a one-two-three, and now you're going to be picky about who wins. At, you know, if, if it's about a team, then anybody on that team should win. And who is really more, de- you know, I mean, who is more deserving than Sep? I mean, all those guys can certainly make a case for, for winning, but so can Sep. I mean... Where would Roglic be if Sepp had not awaited for him on the uh, on the high mountain stage, I forget what it was, in the Giro, you know, at the end of the Giro, when Garen Thomas rolled away from him? I mean, if it wasn't for Sepp, Roglic would have probably, or at least very likely, been out of the game and would not have been within striking distance on that final TT. So, you know, in some ways... I see. You know, Sep really saved that Giro for Roglic, and and you know, he's always been there for Roglic. He's always been there for for Vingegaard, and you know, although it was less visible, you know, the whole jumbo tactic this year at the at the tour was go hard, 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 hard from stage one and try to wear down, uh, Pocachar into the third week because they knew he was coming to the race under raced and and you know without the training and that he'd be able to do, and Sep was just a key player in that and has just always been there, so why would you not defend him in the red jersey as, in, as, as much as anybody else? He got in the red jersey. And you know, some guys say, well, he gifted it, they uh, got three extra minutes there, and this and that, but uh, up until that point, he'd been riding support until he got into that breakaway. And, and in the early stages, he actually sat up and lost time because he had been driving the pace in the first mountain stages to break up the race, to splinter the race up, and then he would sit up and let the other guys go up the road, Windergaard and, and Roglic. So he you know, he lost time because he was sacrificing himself early. But it's all sort of symptomatic, I guess, of the sort of internal chaos that was was happening right at that moment of the race. I think they didn't really know what they wanted to do or how they were going to play it out. And I have to admit, there was a flash where I was thinking to myself, where's Patrick Lefebvre when you need him? I mean... This guy has had some pretty dominating teams in the classics, Mighty, but in the classics, he's had teams that are going one, two, three in big races. And his school was always, okay, you go into this with as many strongmen as possible. You have your designated leader, it might be Yon Muzio, it might be Tom Boonin, but you always have a B card and a C card. You know, and we saw that often, whereas if, if Boonin or Muzio couldn't make the difference on that given day because they were too marked or whatever. They send somebody else up the road. Uh, you know, Nicky Terpstra uh, won rube because he was able to get away when everybody was looking at Bunin. And that's how we got Cuss up the road, because people were focused on the two designated leaders. And it's not like once you get Terpstra up the road, uh, you go, oh, wait a minute, we didn't really want him to win. Uh, let's uh, do this again. You know, I mean, you got the race in your pocket. Why would you not defend it? as is especially that late in the race it seemed to me obviously classics are not the tours the grand tours obviously there's a lot on stake here and these guys have trained all year for it and it's a month out of the year plus all the training there's premiums involved there's finances and, and and all these things involved but you know it just seemed to me that sup was just so deserving i just couldn't you know i was i was at the school that you don't attack the leader of a grand tour when it's your own teammate. It just didn't add up for me. So yeah, I was I was surprised, uh, a bit stunned, and it was just kind of going, no, no, tell me it ain't so, tell me it ain't so. And finally Grishubble responded with the answer I was hoping for. They had to go back in and huddle a bit and then figure out how they were really gonna do this, but finally came, they came out with what, what I think was the right
2: decision. I was riveted by it. I thought it was fascinating. In the end, the right, the, you know the, the thing that makes my heart warm happened, which is sepkus winning the world, and I would yeah, I, I thought it was an extraordinary story. I will say that the days after the Anglo were not interesting to watch from the point of view of intrigue or racing, it, I, I switched off after that, even though you can argue Yumbo did the inv- in inverted commas, right thing by finally backing because I switched off after that. On the subject of Yumbo Visma finally showing heart, though, as we said, what what most people seem to want to happen in the end happened, I can see the thought process that went into them getting into the situation they did. And, yeah, you know, that's from the point of view of both Yumbo Visma and Roglic, who is evidently the least happy with the way things played out. So from Yumbo's point of view, they went to the Vuelta wanting to complete that hat trick, of Grand Tours so they, they took Vingegaard and Kuss and created potential tension with team leadership and then I think because they'd been promising Roglic for a long time over the course of the season that you know he was doing the Giro and Vuelta he'd be the team leader at those two races this year Vingegaard for the Tour and Roglic went through this year thinking and training as the sole team leader at the Vuelta and remember, he's he's cracking on a bit in years. He wanted to get the fourth to victory, which would have really elevated his status and also give him a nudge in the direction of maybe leading the team at the Tour de France next year. That was obviously taken from him when Vingegaard was taken to the race and when Kuss rode and then as events unfolded, Roglic found himself probably in a position where he was wondering exactly where he stood. And I think Jumbo may have tried to mitigate that situation by maintaining that situation where they were free to ride themselves. They probably had meetings where the riders sought reassurances. I wasn't in the meetings, but Attila Valter said on the cycling podcast that even the second rest day meeting, and this is a couple of days before the anglery, that the management said that the legs would decide. So you can understand Roglic being dissatisfied when... Two days later, he was being told, actually, not the legs after all. You're not allowed to go for the leadership. And this is probably why he appeared less than content with the way things worked out.
3: Roglic, I can completely see from his perspective like why he'd be annoyed. He did nothing to warrant not getting his chance. at. He went into the race as leader. It's not like he wasn't going well or he didn't have the form. There wasn't really anything to warrant that being taken away from him. I think it does make you wonder what this race will mean for his future at Jambu Visma. I know he's got two years on his contract remaining, but if he really wants a chance at leading a Tour de France team again... Is he going to be able to do that here? It's looking less and less likely, I think. I know there's like all sorts of rumours, isn't there, about what he might do. And he's sticking to the line and the team are as well, that he's one of their star riders and he's really happy there. But his answers to interviews when he was saying he had his own thoughts about the team's decision really pointed that he maybe isn't very happy there. And I think taking away the thing that we all did want Sepkus to win, he's never won a grand tour. It's such a nice story. Like, yeah, I can completely get, why Roglic wouldn't be happy because he was told he would get the chance to ride for victory and he had that taken away from him with no real reasoning other than, you know, what he might have seen as public opinion and pressure on the team from fans being like, actually, we like this guy better, which isn't really fair.
2: Yeah, it's very true. And I think Roglic, he's the most compelling and interesting individual in this whole scenario because he had to watch and smile as he deliberately held back from racing the Vuelta as, as hard as he could. And I'm in two minds with him as to what he'll do, because I think many riders in this situation would be out of there fast. When riders and teams have tension, sometimes it's best to go separate ways. You saw that this year just with Arnaud Demar, when he wasn't taken to the Tour de France by Groupama FDJ, left mid-season. You know, it was all sorted out with the consent of everyone, but left the team because he couldn't see that He could ride for Gorkhama uh, FDJ first. Roglic's best chance of winning the Tour de France is by riding for Jumbo Visma. They're the you know, they're the strongest Grand Tour team in the world, and he's best placed to win the Tour de France if he's the team leader at Jumbo Visma. I don't think there's any other team currently which would have the firepower and give him the sole leadership to win the Tour de France. So maybe he sees that the the best way is to stay and hope that. What happened to him this year happens to Jonas Vingegaard at the Tour next year. And also, he's one of the most resilient riders I've ever come across. He bounces back very quickly from disappointment and he resets incredibly quickly. We're speaking on Monday afternoon. I think this morning he would have got up and woken up in quite a good mood about his prospects of winning the Tour de France next year. Because remember when he lost the 2020 Tour de France in Extraordinarily disappointing circumstances. Went out and won Liège best on Liège, I think, a week later. So I'm interested to see what he's going to do. I, th- I think I can see he could stay with the team and be happy and leave the team and be happy. James. I'll
1: tell you one thing. Uh, he's not going to be doing the Giro Volta mix, uh, next year. <laughs> he's, he's going to ride the Tour de France, be it on Jumbo or somebody else. Uh, because, yes, his time is limited. He's not going to have a whole lot of years left. He still has one big race, the biggest race. He's yet to win. He wants to win that. He wants to have his chance. He could potentially do it on Jumbo. You could see a situation where he's the one that goes up the road while, you know, Vingegaard is watching Pogachar Things are possible. Or you could see um, him signing to another team with a lot of money and, and having all the support and maybe playing off those guys and. You know, whatever. He's not going to not race the Tour de France next year.
2: What was your angle on Vingegaard, who, on the surface of it, seemed to be more uncomfortable with the idea of winning the bike race ahead of his teammate, yet at the same time had been pretty perky in the middle week and then at the start of the second week in going away and gaining time? At the end of the day, we're talking
1: about Roglic being the, the, the designated leader who was closest to, to taking over the lead. It was Vingegaard. He's a hard guy to read, and he was even harder to read here. I mean, he had really good legs in that second week. Was he riding to win that one day? We don't know. He was talking after that victory about the accident of his teammate Ben Hoidonke. He wasn't talking about Sepp uh, too much after that finish and about how he didn't mean to take so much time out of the guy or anything like that. Their tactics in the second going into third week were very confusing and... uh, Left a lot of questions and I think probably because they didn't have the answers themselves, none of them, none of the riders not the, and they weren't getting it from management.
3: I think it's hard to tell because we obviously only know from what we watch in their interviews and Vingigo generally seemed a lot happier with the situation when they decided to officially ride for Sepp compared to when Roglic was asked about it. And I think you kind of have to respect Primoz Roglic in a way for being so honest and saying he had his own opinions. I think that's quite a good judge of his character. At least he's kind of giving honesty in that way. And I think it's also worth bearing in mind that it's probably a lot easier for Jonas fingergo to give away a Vuelta victory. He's just won the Tour de France two years in a row. Winning the Vuelta to him, it doesn't mean as much as maybe it would to Roglic, just because he's won the biggest prize there is already this season. So I feel like that softens the blow a little bit for him. He doesn't really have anything to prove, whereas I feel like Roglic, you can tell he still feels like he's not fully proven himself.
2: I wonder if Vingegaard couldn't have really enhanced his reputation as team leader, also as a team player, if he had, on the Angleroo, ridden up to Roglic and said, maybe we should back off here, because there wasn't really any communication between them on the road. There were stories about the fact that those two have been trying to assert their authority in terms of leadership at the Tour de France next year, even though You'd argue that the guy who's come second, first and first in the last three years would automatically be the leader. But I just think Winkgaard, although he did seem to accept Kuss as leader earlier than Roglic and more readily than Roglic, I still think maybe he was ambivalent about it deeper into the race than than we think. We're not going to know, I don't think. He's a hard
1: guy to read in, on a good day. <laughs> and when things get confusing, it was even harder to read. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it played out as a historic race. I think that's a, a takeaway you can't
2: ignore. Do we want to see the same scenario every year? No, no. Do you think Yumbo visma were comfortable in bowing to pressure to... Changed their approach?
3: It's an interesting question isn't it because they're a team that generally is actually quite closed off to fans and to the media and doesn't give much away so I almost feel like it would have been pretty hard for them to go along with what public opinion wanted but I think in this occasion it was really hard to argue with public opinion was wrong like it, it seemed like there was so there wasn't really any arguments against Kuss uh, winning. I think they sort of just came to their senses it wasn't like everyone wanted them to do an outrageous thing that they would never do. The reason why there was so much anger and stuff and so Social media is because it was a reasonable thing to do it was like they'd gone a bit mad when they started attacking him it wasn't an outlandish thing that public were requesting so I think that it was just yeah the right thing to do and they saw that and it just happened to be at the same time for all we know even if maybe there hadn't been any backlash on social media they still would have done what they did I think they might have just come to terms with the fact in the bus that evening that like look that wasn't a good look and it wasn't really fair on Sepkus so we need to make a decision.
1: Well, I agree with everything you said, Rachel, except that last uh, phrase. I don't know that they would have come back to that decision themselves, but we won't know. It's funny because you all said, well, we're not into this. You know, we don't raise bikes to win a popularity contest. But at the same time, this is a sport where you need friends. We saw the reaction most with the media. Uh, you know, guys like Sean Kelly and, you know, a lot of old pros coming out. But we also saw it within the Peloton. Garrett Thomas, a lot of really established riders come out and say, sep, sep should win this race. And the Peloton is a wild beast and you need friends beyond your own team. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how or why they got to the point, but they did make the right decision. And it's one that will, in many ways, help them in the future.
2: The Peloton, it's a society, isn't it? When people act, they have to do so in alliance with other people. And sometimes those people are your teammates. Mostly those people are your teammates. But often you have to make temporary alliances with other teams and that's how the peloton works. You have to work out the cost of the, the investment you're putting in what the benefit is. Sometimes you have to, not exactly stab your fellow riders in the back, but eventually in a break there is cooperation and then the cooperation breaks down. And you have to work out, is the benefit of me breaking that cooperation bigger than the, the, the downside? Because sometimes you break the cooperation in a group, for example, you win the stage Doesn't really matter after that. You may get a reputation as a guy who doesn't contribute well, but you balance that up against the immediate result. And that goes within teams as well. I'm sure in the end, both Roglic and Vingegor and Jumbo Visma realised the consequences of what they were doing, what the possible outcomes were, and decided to take a certain course of action. And this whole thing and Jumbo's method through this tour actually reminded me of... When you remember doing the cobbled stage of the twenty twenty two Tour de France when Jumbo had a bunch of punctures and bike swaps, and from the outside it looked like utter utter chaos. there were riders jumping on different bikes, riders getting on the wrong the bikes of the wrong size, they were running across the road, ditching bikes, getting bikes off cars, and it looked like absolute chaos we all had quite a good laugh at it because it looked utterly utterly chaotic. I think somebody put it to the Benny Hill theme music, and that was that. When you step back and examine that whole thing from the outside, every single decision they made was actually quite rational. A rider didn't have a bike. They got on the next bike they could. They didn't know that the team car was going to come up and stop. So they got on the next bike. There was a kind of cascade of events, but no individual decision in that whole thing with the cobbled stage bike switcheroo. Nothing was irrational. They they acted pretty rationally, did the best thing that was available to at that point knowing you know the odds and it actually transpired at the end of the day they lost minimal time to their main rival Tadej Pogacar and actually came through that stage in really really good shape. Similarly to this Vuelta they kept on taking a series of decisions which they thought were rational they'd had all that knowledge that they'd been telling Roglic for months that he's the leader through the race they were saying yep legs decide and I think they painted themselves into that corner. No individual decision was really taken out of malice or against Sepp Kuss. It just happened that that was was the kind of series of decisions that had been taken. And then finally, they changed their mind. And unfortunately, to my mind, like I said earlier on, that's for me when the race became less interesting. So to go back to what you said, James, was a really memorable race, I think. Not the most engaging from a sporting point of view, but at the same time, I think more emotion was garnered in those couple of days around the Angleroos stage and immediately after than I can remember in the other two Grand Tours this year. We should talk about the winner of the race, Sepp Kuss. Where do you think he's going to go from here? Is he going to settle back into a role as a mountain domestique deluxe. Will this catalyze a hitherto latent streak of ambition? Should he leave the team and become a team leader somewhere else and try and maybe win another Grand Tour? What do you think? I've been thinking about that, actually.
1: I think having him win this race will keep him on the team, keep him as the best teammate in the world in a Grand Tour. I think if they they had turned their backs on him, I think he would have... Been a lot more receptive to the offers that were becoming, have come in the past, and would continue would be flooding in to him after that. Now he he is a Grand Tour winner, and might he have a chance at the Giro? May Roglic and uh, Vingegaard say, look, both of us we deserve to do the Tour, and Sept does the Giro as the leader, and and the Tour as the a support rider, for example. I wouldn't be surprised that he doesn't get full support in a, in one of the the Grand Tours that maybe they don't have. Vingergaard and and Roglic to to count on because he's shown he can win a Grand Tour. And I think the team would um, look for or not shy away from situations to put him back in that situation. And now that they have given him the support, I think he'll be with them for quite a while.
3: I can't really see him leaving just because of what happened in this race. I think he said after one of the really hard stages, actually, he was like, I've never, I don't want to do that again. Like as in being the GC leader, maybe he's changed now. He's done it once, but I don't know how well he was coping with that role. I don't think it comes naturally to him to be the leader. Like I saw that video on social media that was circulating of them getting in the team car and he still got up and offered the front seat to Roglic so that Roglic would be more comfortable on the journey. And that's why he's so likable. And that's just the kind of person he is. And it's a difficult one because I think, on the one hand, I don't want him to lose that likeability and I think that's what makes him such a special rider. But then on the other hand, does he have that real kind of brutal, savage streak that GC, that multiple Grand Tour winners have? Indigo has it. You can kind of see that when he uh, Remco, Evenepoel has it to an extent. When they attack, they're very like cold blooded with it. They're... You know, they don't mind putting other people in pain or in difficult positions, like Kursa, uh apologised to Mikhail Lander at the end for sprinting round him after he'd paced him up the Anglia Roo. That is not the usual trait of a Grand Tour winner. It's what we like about him, but if circumstances are different, like could that be his downfall? It'll be interesting to see if he wants to try and become that Tour de France winner or if he's happy. Because he said in the past he's quite happy being a domestique, so... I don't know what he'll do. I just hope he stays true to his character. But whether he can do that and become a multiple grand tour winner, I'm not sure.
2: I agree. I I thought he came across as being incredibly well-adjusted and very balanced. And I've no doubt that for him, being true to himself and being like that is the most important thing. He's very, very well-grounded, I thought, and he, he, he came across Very, very well indeed. How do other teams fight Yumbo? Then what? What is anybody going to be able to do against that?
3: Try and sign Roglic, maybe. (laughs) That's what I mean. Like that's why I'm, I'm a bit concerned about next season because I don't really see um, any team that can pose a challenge to them at the moment. In terms of grand tours, I, I don't. I honestly, yeah, I'm not sure what anyone else can do at this moment. I guess Podjakar will be the only test of whether he can get the better of them next year if he has a proper run up to the Tour de France which injury free and stuff maybe he'll be able to put up a bit more of a fight but even then that team's not got the strength and depth that Jumbo have and all the different options it's going to be challenging
1: i'm a little bit more optimistic i'd say especially with uh UAE and Pogachar No, they don't quite have that depth they don't have all these grand tour winners that they can throw into one race but they're pretty close pogachar was not 100% at the tour so i think that i think we very well, could see two just Titan-esque teams going at it. Uh, Pogachar I certainly think, is going to race very differently going into next year's tour. Evanepol is getting better, almost better at every race. You could argue he wasn't better this year, but I mean, I, I've talked with people on the team. I've talked with people that you know around his thing is he comes back from every training camp, every altitude camp physically stronger than he has been ever before so he's still a great unknown and you know he could have meteoric improvement in the next 12 months and all of a sudden wins a three-way race this this sport every time in the last 10 years we think we've seen the 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 future of cycling it hasn't panned out you know Egan uh, Bernal didn't pan out and even before his crash don't forget he he cracked hard in the race where he was defending his title and then chart two years uh, unbeatable, and then cracked. Cracked two years now. So you know, let's see where this all goes.
2: So we did mention earlier on that we mentioned a few of the other riders in the race. So the Spanish riders, Juan Ayuso, uh, Enrique Mass, and Mika Landa, would fill the spaces between fourth and sixth without ever really looking like they're threatening to win. And I don't know what your impressions were of those three, but I felt that. Oh, Ayuso really spectacularly announced himself on the scene last year and seemed to be much the same level this year rather than kicking on. Um, I feel that Enric Massett's been the same story with him since he came second in the Vuelta five years ago now. And, and Lander you know, was meteoric as ever, had some great days and rode a pretty good GC race, actually. But none of the three, to me, looked like even potential Grand Tour winners. I don't know if you disagree with that.
1: Well, I think it's too early to say what they use are. Um, I think the others, we kind of know what kind of riders they are. We know where their careers are going, how good they are, how good they're not. Ayuso is still so young, it's too early to say. He got, what, he got third last year, got fourth this year. Last year's Vuelta was, just didn't have the depth at the, at the top <laughs> that this one did with, with three guys at Jumbo. And he got fourth, so he could likely been uh, another podium guy, could have gotten second. But he's he's, the, he's he remains a question mark for me. I think he, he could still potentially could still be a very big force to reckon with that we don't know about. We don't understand yet.
2: And is Remco Evenapol any close to being a confirmed GC rider? Well, obviously he's won the Vuelta a España, so he is a GC rider, yet he seems to encounter headwinds more often than not in his Grand Tour challenges. And once he was out of the GC, he was playing around with the Vuelta, but really. he was obviously taking it very seriously, but he was, he was winning stages. He was in breaks. He won the King of the Mountains jersey. On the surface, it rode a spectacular race, yet maybe we'll see this race as a disappointment.
3: With Remco, it was quite interesting to see how he played it because he purposely lost time on a couple of the stages so that he then be allowed to go for stage wins. And I just wonder if that was the right decision because what he's lacking then is that he's never ridden a Grand Tour like a GC rider. You know, he's never done those repeatable, consistent days in the mountains where he hasn't sat up and you know lost time so he can go for stage wins and I think he needs to do that even if he's not going to win he still needs to try and ride with the GC group day after day just if he ever wants to be a Grand Tour rider and ever wants to be a winner he did have an amazing race and he also made the race for a lot of fans like his attacking was really good to watch and I think looking at how strong he was right to the end of the race as well definitely shows he's got the endurance for it but it's just so hard to tell when he hasn't ridden like a gc rider i find it really hard to work out if that's in his skill set or not because he he does seem to have these days where he seems like he's got the form to be up there but then he just will blow up spectacularly on particular days um and then not be able to come back from it but the next day look completely fine again so I don't know if maybe it's a mental thing like when he does start to lose the wheel he just keeps going backwards and can't really regain his concentration or his focus and sort of checks out mentally and that's why he loses so much time because for me he shouldn't lose like you know 10 minutes on one day and then be able to win a mountain stage later on in the race like if you're just looking at physicality that doesn't really make sense so i really how he raced, and i definitely think he can look at it as a success from like stage wins and how much he animated and stuff but I just think if he's serious about becoming a Grand Tour rider, he needs to commit to that regardless of if he's going to win or not, just so he has that in that experience of what it's like to try and stick with the GC group uh, throughout a three-week race.
1: I see bike racing as physical performance and part performance. Like These guys are also actors, and they are putting on a show for us. The great champions understand that. It's not just about winning a race. It's about how you win. And he lost spectacularly. And said, okay, my GC thing is over this year. I'm not going to quit the race. He did finish the race. And he just put on an amazing show. And I think won the hearts of a lot of fans. Because it's not about always about winning and how you win. It's also about how you lose. And he lost the GC race spectacularly. And then came back and put on just a great show. And raced all the way to the last kilometer, the last couple hundred meters of Madrid. I gained a lot of respect for him. Uh, as a bicycle racer because of that i understand what you're saying uh on you know the, the need to go at it day in and day out rachel to get your body used to that and and to understand what your possibilities are he did do it a year ago so he, he has shown he can do that but yeah i mean this year you know he did like 10 days of the giro um that's a week a little bit more than a week long stage race so that doesn't count and then this year he had some serious off days but he went three weeks and he put on a, a great show, won the hearts of a lot of fans. Maybe built back a little more confidence in himself. We'll see. But it sure was fun to watch, and it gave us something to watch uh, when we're getting bored with the uh, with the with the Jumbo crowd, huh?
2: Fantastic race for Jumbo, who are the dominant Grand Tour outfit of the age. Not such a great Grand Tour for the previous uh, Grand Tour dynasty of Ineos, who went to the Vuelta hoping for Garant Thomas to be up there in the GC and came away with very, very little.
3: How the mighty have fallen, I guess. It's pretty crazy to think what they were doing, yeah, not so long ago, um, to the kind of performance they put in at this So I guess Filippo Ganna was their only saving grace in that he sort of randomly became a sprinter for a couple of stages and he won the time trial but from a GC perspective they just weren't really there uh, they did have bad luck you know in the opening time trial and then they had other crashes throughout the race Garen Thomas crashed a few times so it was bad luck but g- generally Ineos seemed to be a way off and I, I don't know what their solution is for them at the moment I think that they'll probably be pretty disappointed after that race they tried to rally together and do lead outs for Ghana but um yeah it wasn't really enough and uh yeah it's a bit of a shame really
2: any other high points for the both of you any other riders stand out for you as uh, impressive
1: lenny martinez we forget about him he was the first week wonder but the guy's what 20 years old got the red jersey already uh didn't hold it for very long but was really in the thick of it for quite
2: a while he's one heck of a climber just gonna make you feel really old now james did you ever photograph his granddad at a bike race Mariano Martinez. No, but I'm planning on it. I know I
1: know his father well, and I'm not quite that old. Thank you. I'm planning to go visit them uh, uh this winter, the three of them, the three generations. I said to Miguel, I'm coming to see you guys this winter, so don't worry. Whenever you want, we're gonna make it work. So
2: Look forward to having that in the magazine. Um Rachel, who were you impressed?
3: I guess we haven't really mentioned Caden Groves um, and like the sprint stages in this race Uh, he was really impressive and also well he was really great in the sprints and Alperson's lead outs were really impressive but then he was also really versatile like uh, he was going for obviously the green jersey and he got over some really tough climbs I think he I can't remember what stage it was but he got over like a first category climb to then sprint for the intermediate points and on the final stage as well, he went in that all-star breakaway that we saw in Madrid. I feel like we need to watch out for him not only in the bunch sprints but also in the classics as well, because he does seem like a rider who is far more than just like a pure bunch sprinter. Also, think it would be interesting to see like how his future develops because he's obviously on the same team as Jasper Philipsen, and they're two really strong sprinters. And he might not get the opportunities he wants if Philipsen's on the same team as him. So he was, yeah, really impressive and be interesting to see where his career goes next I think
1: that last uh, stage was amazing (laughs) I mean half the guys in that break couldn't even think about sprinting in the last 500 meters and then you know they weren't pulling any punches in the last 2k right there was like no time so they all were just head down gunning it and he still rode away from them and that really impressed me because that shows not just speed but a ton of strength ton of strength. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, Rachel. He really showed himself here. Yeah, I'd really be curious to see what he does in the next year.
2: Well, thank you. I think that's enough of well, sir for for now, although I suspect there may yet be fallout from this race into the future, which we'll keep an eye on. Quick bit of housekeeping. Don't forget to subscribe to the Rouleau magazine at ruler.cc slash subscribe. We can give 15% discount if you enter the code PODCAST15. Also, Ruler Live, our annual live show, is coming up. That's between Thursday, November 2nd and Saturday, November 4th at the Truman Brewery in London. All three of us will be there, as will Lizzie Dignan, Alison Jackson, Elisa Longo-Borghini, the three winners so far of the women's Paris Roubaix. We've also got Pauline Ferrand-Prévot, multiple world champion, and Geraint Thomas appearing on the bill. Tickets can be found on the main website at rouleur.cc. Rachel, James, thank you very much. More from Rouleur Conversations next week. You have been listening to Ruler Conversations. Ruler Conversations is made by the editorial staff of Ruler Magazine. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Ruler and on Instagram at Ruler Magazine, or visit our website at Ruler.cc. This edition of Ruler Conversations was produced by Joseph Perry of Content is Queen.
0: I'm Nick Friedman.